as those tools get like easy to use, it's going to be a weird place. But here's, here's the crazy thing. Is that all the consequences of this sort of tech is a consequence of empowering the individual. Sure, there's a lot of negatives when potentially bad people can do really bad things. Just like if you give everyone in society a gun. There's a lot of people who can do bad things with a gun. But guess what you can't do? You can't rule them as a tyrant. <laughs> you can't a society where everybody has a gun. It's actually a pretty polite society. Greetings and salutations, my fellow plebs. My name is Walker, and this is the Bitcoin Podcast. The Bitcoin block height is 824371, and the value of one Bitcoin is still one Bitcoin. I know it's been a couple weeks since I dropped the last episode, so thank you for your patience. I just became a father over the holidays, so I've been a little busy. Mother and baby are both happy and healthy, and thank you sincerely to everyone who reached out with congratulations. It really means a lot. Today's episode is Bitcoin Talk, where I talk with my guest about Bitcoin and whatever else happens to come up. Today, that guest is Guy Swan, host of Bitcoin Audible and AI Unchained. He's also the man who has read more about Bitcoin than anyone you know. We dig deep into the power of stories and how narratives and power structures are shifting right in front of our eyes. We discuss the importance of peer-to-peer -peer money, Bitcoin, and peer-to-peer -peer communication, Noster, Hole Punch, etc. In the era of the centralized social media platforms and censorship industrial complex, and also how AI fits into the story of our collective future. Before we get started, I want to remind you that the Bitcoin halving is just a few months away. So now is a very good time to get your Bitcoin off the exchange and into your own custody. Go to bitbox.swiss walker and use the promo code walker for 5% off the Bitcoin only Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. It is fully open source. You can go to their GitHub and verify for yourself. No need to trust me. It's also super easy to set up, and that makes it a great tool for seasoned psychopaths and new Bitcoiners alike. When you go to bitbox.swiss walker and use that promo code walker, not only do you get 5% off, but you also help support this show, another fucking Bitcoin podcast. So thank you. As always, you can watch the video version of this episode on Rumble, YouTube, or X, by searching at Walker America or listen on fountain.fm or wherever you get your podcasts by searching for the Bitcoin podcast. If you listen to the Bitcoin podcast on fountain, consider giving this show a boost or creating a clip of something you found particularly interesting. If you haven't checked out fountain yet, I highly recommend you go check it out right now. Without further ado, let's get into this Bitcoin talk with Guy Swan. This uh, this whole thing is still uh, still new to me. You know, I'm not the the seasoned expert uh, that folks like you and Peter are yet. But I got to say, whole new respect for you guys. Uh, just after trying this yeah. a bit on my own, like it's 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 a it's a fucking lot. I don't I don't think people realize that. <laughs> like 
I, you know, it the, seems like it wouldn't be. It seems like it wouldn't be on the outside. You you don't you don't think about like it's crazy. Like when I'll get to the point, be like, okay, I'm done editing or I'm done like like with the show, and then it's just like hours to publishing. I'm like, I'm gonna do it real quick. It's like ten minutes, and like hours dude, later, I'm dude, like still not done, and I'm like, I have to go to sleep now. I have to. I'm gonna have to fucking do this tomorrow. It's honestly that is like the shit that takes a shocking amount of time just like at least now like with ai like i'm using riverside obviously we're we're here in the Mm -hmm. studio uh it's nice that now they just like started writing up like automatic show notes for you and Mm -hmm. the transcript Mm -hmm. editing function makes it a bit easier to like go through and just clear out you know dead spaces if i'm doing like a you know a solo one but the fucking uploading like it's just it's another reason where i'm like god i I look forward to a more Noster enabled future where mm-hmm. I can just blast something out from my NPUB and have it populate to wherever people want it to be, wherever they are, are viewing it, whatever type of client that may be. Because mm-hmm. as it is, it's like, okay, fucking takes forever to upload to YouTube. And now I've started putting shit on rumble and then, you know, the, the actual audio podcast itself. And it's like, oh, I'm going to upload it to X as well. Uh, and that's like, okay, well, it may upload, it may not. Uh, and maybe you're going to upload the whole episode, but nobody watches long form on X. Like nobody really watches long form on X. They don't. And so it's like, well, they I don't. guess I'll just, now I guess I'll just make an extra like two minute clip of this and that's going to take me a while longer. But yeah, it's, it, it's, are you it's one, a trip. Are you one man in it right now? Oh yeah. Well, because this yeah. is, I, I consider this to be a, this is my my hobby. I, that that way, I can justify the time that I'm spending on it. Because uh, mm-hmm. I like I don't watch sports. Um, I I enjoy sports. I've played sports my whole life, but I I can't justify the time to like sit down and and watch an old sports ball match. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's always it's always time. Like I get nostalgic. It's always time for video games, and and but I sit down. And I'll play. I like I play. I have the new Zelda game right on on Switch, oh, and I love the Tears old of one. the Kingdom. Yeah, yeah, and I'll like run around and I'll get like some mushrooms and some, you know, cut down some trees and shit for like fifteen minutes, and I'll be like, I ain't gotten anywhere. I got. I just have. To, I have to get mushrooms before I even can do the thing that's in I the know. game, and I'm just like, I gotta put this. I can't. I can't play this. I can't do this. I know. I, I'm. I'm lucky because Carla is. Uh, she's actually a, a big gamer. Um, it may be okay. somewhat shocking here, but yeah, she's nice. a, nice. a massive no, I mean, gamer. It's and not so that, entirely off. Not it's, yeah, it's not, it's not entirely <laughs> shocking. Um, but so like a nice thing is like, that's like, you know, one of the things that we love to do together is like, let's, let's fucking game. So that, that way it's, mm-hmm. cause if I was, you know, it's the same thing. It's like, man, sure. Who doesn't love to sit down and fucking game for a while, but it's like, oh boy, with especially like baby on the way and all these things, it's like, it, it, Time is truly our scarcest resource. Like, and you yeah. can get a fuckload done in a day, but there somehow never seems to be quite enough time, you know. And ain't that the crux of it? Like, yeah, you can get a but, lot done in a day, but it's always twenty percent of what you hoped. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, the amazing thing though is too, like, uh, I feel like our our perspective of what is productive, especially for folks like us. I think this is true for a lot of Bitcoiners who try to think more about their time, like think about it more consciously. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're actually able to get so much done just with all of the incredible tools that are out there now, all the AI tools, all the, all the automations, just like just the little things AI and stuff in crazy. Riverside. Like it's fucking amazing mm-hmm. how much of that menial work you can offload with it and actually mm-hmm. get so fucking much done. 
And, but then we still, uh, our judgment of ourselves is always this rolling thing where it's always relative. You know, we're not saying how much am I getting done versus five years ago? It's like, well, how much am I getting done versus yesterday or last week? Like, and I think that's like a mentality mm -hmm. shift I need to work on getting better at. Like you're still getting yeah. a shitload done. Uh, and especially relative to a few years ago, it's just that you're seeing that workload manifest in different ways, but mm -hmm. it's, it's a trip. It's a trip. Yeah. But one of the craziest of time. Thing. Oh yeah. No, no go um, ahead. <laughs> um, uh, it's funny. I did this, did this show by myself for, I mean, I guess five years. Um, yeah. Cause I'm, I'm coming up on, will it be six years in March? That's amazing. Fuck. I don't know. Something <laughs> like that. Um, and, uh, but I just now, I just now have a producer and working with, uh, April too, for like all the design stuff or whatever, but like, I would not be publishing, um, video on YouTube. I wouldn't be publishing on rumble. I wouldn't be publishing little clips on TikTok or LinkedIn. Um, I wouldn't be, I, I do it on Noster and it's purely because like he sends me the details or whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, like, but I, I, when I'm done with an episode now, I just throw it, I just throw him a link. Um, that's and that's awesome. been, it took a long time to kind of like get that system in place because like none of my shit was organized. <laughs> um, it was organized in a way that I understood it, but that it was, you know, Egyptian hieroglyphics to anybody else. <laughs> um, and, uh, but like, I mean, like I pay him every month and I'm like, oh man, this is a lot, but Every time I think about like, okay, I'm going to go publish it myself. I'd be like, mm -mm. nope, nope. going to pay yeah. Johnny. <laughs> don't well, fucking care. Don't, I mean, again, and like, this. you know, like your time is, and like you've put in the work for so long with this. Like, honestly, it's incredible mm -hmm. that you were doing it as a one man show for basically what, like 95% of it. Like you only started having yeah. some production support it's recently. like four right? or five months. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, like, and you're, you know, uh, you are, uh, a new father as well, or relatively new still now. Um, mm -hmm. but like your time is yeah, we're talking more about precious. Numbers. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. More Bitcoin baby number go up. We gotta be I in a hurry. It. We gotta be in a hurry. We got limited window, limited window. Yeah. We got, we're trying to get like four kids up in this bitch. All right. You know, I love hearing that from Bitcoiners. Like, yes, have like, it makes me so happy when people that I know are good, decent, <clears throat> intelligent, hardworking people have kids. Cause I'm like, Oh man, you're going to raise them right. And they're going to turn into wonderful human beings. And those kids, like, like the world may still be fucked up for most of our lives guy, but I have a lot of hope. Two for generations of that. And the math is in our numbers and if math yeah. is in our favor, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, with the way that Bitcoiners are breeding, like it's going to be uh it's a population takeover, you know, it's, yeah. it's a beautiful thing to see, man. But well, again, Hashtag speaking of scarce soon. time soon, <laughs> Your time is scarce guy and you put out so much work. And so I want to thank you for sharing that scarce time with me today. Um, I'm still figuring out how I, yeah. how I like to do intros for things, but mm -hmm. I think everybody who is going to listen to the show knows who you are. You are Guy Swan, the man who has read more about Bitcoin than anyone, you know, you are the host of that is right. Oh, I, I was like, did I screw that up? Fuck <laughs> the, no, the host correct, of Bitcoin audible. Uh, Shitcoin Insider, a little maybe lesser known, and you started AI Unchained. Was that earlier this year, beginning of this year? That was very recently. That was, yeah. um, there was like a two month gap where I like 
didn't have anything out with it because like two things that were scheduled fell apart. So it's only, we're only like 10, 11 episodes in. Okay. Um, but now I've got a hard schedule and I'm every week. So it's every, That's every awesome. Thursday. Bitcoin Audible is Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and AI Unchained is Thursdays. So I love it. I'm, I'm when I saw you coming shit. out with that, I was like, oh, fuck yes. Like I'm glad a Bitcoiner is, and I'm glad a Bitcoiner like you is doing this because there were, there are so many AI podcasts that popped up like overnight, you know, when it was around the time that everybody was tweeting the exact same things about AI that they'd clearly just put through chat GPT. And it's yeah. pretty oh, nice. Yeah. It's, we're, we're it, clear it's and, and that's a good thing. Like the, the cream rises to the top. Right. But you know, I I've got to tell you, I've got to say thank you because Bitcoin audible, uh, the first Bitcoin podcast I listened to was, uh, was what Bitcoin did. And mm -hmm. I started, you know, listening, you know, and I love Peter's interview style, started listening to some of these interviews and really enjoyed it. But I was very early in my journey. And a lot of that stuff, I felt like I didn't have the background I needed to really appreciate some of those conversations. So I was like, let me find, let me find something else that's going to fill that gap. And I found Bitcoin audible and I was like, oh, I like this. Okay. This is, you know, these, I've, I recognize some of these pieces. They're sitting in my bookmarks tab, but I haven't read them yet. Mm -hmm. Let me just do, you know, let me do this. That's where they live. That's where they, they live there. <laughs> and, and so that was, that was hugely foundational for me getting that deep dive into so many incredible pieces. Like if, if there is an important Bitcoin piece that, that someone should read, you have already read it. And I think that that's such an incredible service for the, for the space. And I think a lot of folks are in the same boat as I am, where it was like, you know, you've uh, more Bitcoin topics have been read in your voice through my ear holes than have been through my <laughs> eyes, you know, it, it, and that's an amazing thing. Um, and so I want to say thank you for that. But, you know, I, I'd love to, I'd love to go back a little bit and, you know, just if you can start us off just to kick things, kick things off here in your own words, who is Guy Swan, the Guy Swan? How did he get here today to become this man in front of you? Who's read more about Bitcoin than anyone, you know? Oh, Jesus. I um, know. I know. That's a big question. It is. So it's funny. One thing that I've tried to, in all my like interests and loves and like things throughout my life, uh, like I actually film was like my first real, this is what I'm going to do in my life. Um, it was, I was in high school. Um, and I think it was, uh, I guess I was like sophomore maybe. Um, but, um, uh, and my mom thought I was crazy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, my dad and I were huge film buffs and, and my brother, all, all of us were huge film bu buffs. And we'd like done, like done up the top of the garage with a projector and we had like a big theater and all the DVDs, under the sun you know we still do he still does he doesn't know that there's any that you don't have dvds anymore but we've still got like a collection of like five thousand of them um and uh <clears throat> so like film was our thing uh or was my thing in particular uh and it was it was actually the first lord, lord of the rings film that made me realize it wasn't i mean i love lord of the rings but it wasn't like oh this is my favorite movie in the whole freaking world it was that I loved the book. I was I was fascinated with Lord of the Rings book. I was I was an avid reader even through my whole life, but I never thought of my thought of that. You know, like like 
like if you'd asked me like do you like to read i'd be like oh yeah i got some i have some fun books but i wouldn't think of myself as a reader you know like it was just kind of like a thing um it was less a focus um and uh but when i saw the trailer for the first lord of the rings film i had no idea that it was coming out and within like 15 seconds or something they had like the the long shot or whatever where the hobbits are like the there's the uh, uh the wraith uh coming down the uh coming down the path or whatever <laughs> and and it was just like it was just like a setting shot and like the characters but it wasn't like they showed their feet and you could tell they were small like it was just it just like it was just an aesthetic but instantly i was like this is the lord of the rings like, because it was, to me, it was what I had pictured in my head. It was so close to what I had pictured in my head. Um, and then I watched the film and I loved it. And it was that same year that he, you know, won the Oscar or whatever. And we used to like, you know, hang out and have big Oscar parties. And it was just, it was like a sports ball game for us. Um, and, uh, and I remember having this moment where I was like, like so much of that film was what I saw in my head. Like I could make that. Like I could make that, I could bring, I could pull that vision out of the book and I could, I could turn that into a film. I know I could. Um, and that was like, just kind of like the moment where, I mean, I was a, a nerd. I was, I was a kid from the middle of nowhere. I grew up at a school that had like 400 students or something. And it was like five grades, you know, it was like, we had like, I mean, like we were small town of small town. Like there were literally three classes that like <laughs> cycled like so you were in a class with everybody in your entire age group um at some point uh so like but i think our town had one blinking yellow light and we were, <laughs> we thought that was like big news it's like that's the big intersection <laughs> <laughs> um so like the idea of like being a filmmaker was retarded in a it, it, like it seemed like that when you're when you're out in the middle of nowhere and hollywood is this big thing um but that was when I just kind of started to study film, like to really study it. And one of the things that I have noticed since then, because I'm still a massive film buff, but what I found, what drove me about film and what is the common thread in all of the other things that I'm just utterly fascinated with is just this idea of story of this structure of understanding because what story really is, is telling the human mode of experience leading to wisdom is, is like, how do you like, what drive does one have? And this is how you tell like what a shitty movie is, is that like you 20 minutes in, you have no idea why the character's doing anything. You don't know what they want. Like it's a desire. It's challenges and conflict, getting in the way of that desire, figuring out how to overcome that. And then ultimately achieving it in a way that reflects on how the beginning of the story started. Like, like it is, I mean, there's a reason they call it an arc. <laughs> um, and, but what's, what's, what was always fascinating to me is that it's actually the same pattern. It's, it's like everything that we relate to is a story. Like a chair isn't like a collection of its pieces. It's what, what does it mean? I'm, I'm tired. I, I'm, I need to go relax. I need to go sit down in this chair. To me, the chair is a story of what I get out of it of me going and resting and sitting in my favorite chair and, you know, chilling out and watching a movie. Like, and that's why all the things that we don't have that aren't related to our story as we walk through the day are just completely in the background. And Bitcoin 
when when I finally found Bitcoin and and like tech was always like a secondary love of mine. In fact, my film, I went to film school, and my thesis was about the technology of film. Is that like what were the major technologies like the Steadicam, the um like a cable cable cam and like the the lens and uh, a camera effects and how we switch from uh, film to digital. Like that was that was basically my honors thesis was all this stuff is like what were the major technological improvements that changed how we film stuff in like the last 30 years or something. Um, and uh, uh, so like tech was my other love. And what was crazy to me when I finally found Bitcoin was that the story I, I, I realized in like kind of going down the economics rabbit hole for everybody who's heard this story. Um, I was, this was after school. I had gone to LA and done the film thing for a little while, but it was just like, horrifically expensive and i didn't see any clear path to doing what i wanted to do i was just doing bitch work for other people in the studio um which was kind of fun and like it was it was cool to be like i was working with a studio you know but i don't know i don't know i just came home like it was just it wasn't it wasn't what i was actually aiming at like there was some sort of a disconnect so i had to figure it out and came home and my brother was in school for uh, economics and so what the kind of the rabbit holes that we had we were going down all at the same time were um he would argue with his economics professors because they would teach him shit that he was like i mean he's he's exactly like me is that if you if you, you can't teach me to memorize something like i mean sure i can memorize shit i got a pretty good memory um but i can't I can't just remember like math is a great example. My calculus teacher didn't know what, how to do calculus. She just knew what you were supposed to do in certain situations. And like, I can't, that, that doesn't, that doesn't compute for me. I need to understand why, like you have to, you have to explain in simple terms, why is this what you do? And so I had the hardest time because I was being taught by somebody who didn't understand it. So I couldn't ask questions really. Um, and so my brother was doing economics and he would argue with his professors because he'd be like, what's the underlying principle here? Like the thing you taught us last week and the thing you just taught us, those things can't happen in the same universe. Those things are, those things are fucking contradictory, man. You can't say that at a micro scale that you can't, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And then on a macro scale, but you can have your cake and eat it too. Like, I mean, that's literally what your this Keynesianism is just so full of, like one after the other, just like ridiculous contradictions. And then models that are like, this industry only works this way. And it's like, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Like physics doesn't change when it gets bigger. You know, that's why we literally like we map out like what hurricanes are going to do in like little dishes and stuff, because you know, the, the pressures are all the same. Like physics is the same when it gets bigger. It's just bigger, <laughs> you know, like, and it just was just driving us crazy. And he would come home and then we would debate about it. And he'd be like, this is what they taught me today. And then we would go on this rabbit hole, digging into economic history. And like, uh, we went down the MMT theory. In fact, modern monetary theory was far more intuitive originally um, than Keynesianism because it actually just takes it to its log logical conclusion, which is far more consistent. It's still wrong, but it's at least far more logically consistent. Um, but eventually we landed on Austrian economics and I, at the same time, I was kind of going back into the tech route and doing my own little film thing uh, just to get by. Um, but I was I was suddenly realizing that peer to peer networks like like BitTorrent and these things had actually like fundamentally changed the world. 
and the stuff that I had just grown up thinking was like a fun toy. Like I could, Oh, I could download a movie. I can get free music. <laughs> you know, like, like it was just, it was just games and things for me. It was just toys for me. Suddenly I was seeing it from a bigger picture. Suddenly I was seeing the story of BitTorrent and the story of the internet. And, and I read, um, uh, the, uh, Julian Assange, uh, uh, steal this book. Um, no, that's not the one. This machine kills secrets. Um, I started reading a bunch of the history of the cypherpunks and stuff. I, I don't even know how I got connected to it and all of that, but I mean, I guess it's BitTorrent, right? You know, that was kind of the cypher part of the cypherpunk legacy too. Um, but that was fascinating to me. And suddenly the story of the internet was the story of like, this shit's going to change everything and in a much, much bigger way. And it, it tied in a lot to how Austrian economics saw the world. Like the, the same story was there. The same, the, the same underlying pattern was in both of those places. Um, and, uh, and then it kind of started to hit money and money kind of became this, this common theme in a lot of these different things. And, you know, cypherpunks were trying to create this, the stateless money. Um, and in Austrian economics, it's clear that like monetary goods need to be like, like a chosen market good. It needs to be independent. And so like, we're going down that rabbit hole. And it was literally at this like confluence of that and like our libertarian journey and everything that Bitcoin landed in our lap. And Bitcoin was like this, this story of all the stories you know, it was, it was everything that I was fascinated in at the time, both m myself and my brother. Um, and, uh, uh, and it, it was just like that first thing that like just really cemented in my mind that the story of money is the story of society. Like what happens to the money? Like money is a prerequisite. Money is, is the glue that holds like it's the intercellular communication for the organism that is society. And without it, it literally breaks down. The organism just turns into a big pile of cellular mush and, and it becomes disparate and it falls apart and everything degrades. But if you have a strong money, you have an organism, you have a society. And when I realized that story, I was, I was locked in because it's like, this is the biggest story. You know, like this is, this is the biggest one that all the other stories depend on. This is the root. And, uh, and that was, that was just what trapped me. Um, and so I would say if I had to answer who is Guy Swan, I have always been trying to chase, I've always chased the story that enlightened more things. Like, what was the story that explained more about what I saw in the world than anything else? And I've just always been fascinated with story. And Bitcoin is the most fascinating of those stories, in my opinion. Man, that was a that was a beautiful answer. And I think mm -hmm. I think that so many people don't quite understand the fact that what exactly what you said that you know everything comes down to stories. You look at in politics, the politician who tells the best story, they win that election, uh, absent yeah. any funny business. You know, the <laughs> the company that the company that tells the best story about their products, their <laughs> services, 
they have, have the most revenue, they get the most customers, right? The people that can understand their own stories well enough and convey them to others, they're the most successful. And the idea of looking at money through the lens of, you know, society's story, I think is really powerful because so many yeah. people, they miss, you know, uh, I should not, Bitcoin, most Bitcoiners are on this journey of understanding that, right? That's, the, that's what falling down the rabbit hole is, I think, is getting down to the fact that money is that base layer of everything else. It's that mm -hmm. foundation. And without that foundation, whatever you build on top of it is going to fall apart eventually. It's yeah. just, you don't have a solid foundation. Like you, when you want to build a, a castle, you don't build it on, on quicksand, right? You build it on a yeah. solid stone foundation, preferably in a fortified position with high ground. You know, you, you build it on a solid foundation to start so that it can last for a thousand years. And yeah. so many people, they get caught up in the, let's say, well, the modern stories that we're told more to propagandize us versus the stories that are at the heart of every culture, of every society, the stories that start with money. And I think that mm -hmm. a lot of people have this impression that, you know, you hear the old common tropes, you know, money is the root of all evil, like, which is just such a, such a ridiculous thing to say. And bad yeah. money, bad money is the root of a lot of bad things, but it's ultimately, you know, again, it comes down to that foundation. Do we have a solid foundation on which good things can be built? So I think that it's, it's really important to take a deeper dive, to look at these stories that society tells us, but also that we tell ourselves because I mean, stories, narratives are what shape our world. And, you know, one thing that I, I wanted to pick your brain on a little bit, which is kind of a, a perfect transition when it comes to stories is I, I read just actually this morning, listened to your read of the, uh, the CTIL and the censorship industrial complex, uh, yeah. thread, which was fascinating. And that is all about stories. That's all about who's mm -hmm. allowed to tell the stories, what constitutes a true story and what is an undesirable story told by undesirable people who should probably just be quieted down for the greater good. So I, I'd love to shift gears into that a little bit. For anyone listening, if you haven't checked out Guy's read on this, I, I believe it's CTIL and the Censorship Industrial Complex is the, the title of it. It's, I think, maybe your either most recent I, I or second most recent. 781, but, maybe? Okay. So yeah, 780. Look at how organized yeah, you are now, 781. Man. 781. Nice. Yeah. But yeah, ch check that out for the full read on this because it's fantastic. But... <laughs> You know, and I was listening to your take on that too at the end of the episode. And it's a really fascinating thing because there was one line that came out of there, one of the quotes from one of these people, I forget what her name was, but the idea that repetition is truth. Uh, and I thought that was such a telling yeah, I think tarp, statement. I think yeah. Trap. But, trap, tra I don't but know, like, something like that. yeah, but th that's, I mean, that's memetics, right? That's just mm -hmm. copying the same thing over and over until enough people believe that it's true. And we see that across the political spectrum today on every single side of the aisle, how many ever many sides there are. But I, I, yeah, it uh, depends on what country you're in, I suppose. But, <laughs> you know, I, I, 
I'd love to get your thoughts on that. You know, now that you've, you've got that piece fully digested and, and again, because you've read more about Bitcoin than anyone I know, where do you see, I mean, do you see this situation getting much, much worse before it gets better in terms of the attempted control of quote truth? Or do you think people are starting to push back more now? Um, both. Yeah. Both. Yeah, fair. Um, so uh, I certainly think it's going to get worse before it gets better. But the crazy thing is, is how quickly, you know, as much as everybody gives Twitter or X, whatever shit, um, and obviously it's not a solution. Um, it, it can't be. Uh, it, whatever the solution is, is a technological solution. It has to be a decentralized or a peer-to-peer solution because any center is 100% going to fall, like necessarily. Um, and uh, I mean, that's, that's what we've seen. That's been the story of the last 15, 20 years is watching the bandwidth of narrative control um, shift to an open platform where the users actually guided what information got propagated. The people don't realize that this was both an innovation. This was like a huge deal when it first came out. It was one of the critical things that made the concept of social movement of information possible. Um, And then it was also what completely dominated the cable news, like everything, the way information flowed was the retweet. It was the share button is I'm going to take this from your social graph and I'm going to stamp it onto my social graph and it's going to now travel like before that, like that was that the notion of virality occurred because of that button and that completely changed the story of how information flowed through society. Granted, the network was still small. Through that network, information traveled in a completely different way. And what it was slowly doing as everybody got smartphones and the devices changed to where when we became truly all connected. I mean, you think about this is literally a 15 year. The iPhone was 2009, man. 2009. Like this this just got started. Like the door opened an hour ago and we just walked through it. We're watching the, the case of, I would definitely recommend if you haven't read it, uh, Michael Saylor's book, mobile wave. It's really good. Um, but, uh, like this just started, this just started like really 2016 and Trump was really the first election that truly was, most heavily driven by social media in the sense that it was a it was a more dominant fact like trump won because of his tweets trump did not won because of his exposure on cable news or abc or c you know like none of that stuff had anything to do with why he won he won because he talked shit on social media and everybody was sick. Everybody just started to see. It's just one of those things. It's why it's the death of we're in the era of the death of celebrity because now we get to see celebrities out of their the perfect lighting and like after the PR, you know, uh, uh, focus group tested comments and the the scripted out 
late night talk shows they just go on instagram and they just like video themselves like and just say some crazy ass shit and it's like some psychotic political mess and then start like you know lambasting everybody else for eating too much meat or doing whatever and it's like bitch what do you what what do you do why the fuck would i listen to you you know like and so it's just killed all of that it's it's completely changing our frame of reference for what is important and who is the owner of the truth who is the who is the owner of the narrative and it's extremely similar it's just kind of an order of magnitude large larger bandwidth but it's extremely similar to what happened during the renaissance and the printing press era is that the church used to be the authority on what the bible said um and i can't i wish i could remember the statistic i think it was turdemeister's piece actually on uh no that one was on the reformation who had the printing press um crap i don't remember but i i i remember i don't remember the exact statistic but i remember how profound the statistic was i'm gonna have to dig back through and find it again but that over i believe it was the the 16th century so it was the 1500s like at the beginning of the 1500s to the end of the 1500s is the literacy rate literally went from sub 10 percent. it was like like literally like four or five percent to over 80 upwards of 90 percent like in one century and suddenly the whole of the i mean it was in obviously in a particular area too like it was like in that society or whatnot it wasn't like the whole world um but like the authority of the church was gone it hadn't played out yet just like in in our case it hasn't played out entirely yet but the authority is gone. They don't control the bandwidth for information. Now anybody in that era could read the Bible or read anything and come up with their own interpretation and then just be like, yeah, what they told us in church is actually bullshit. Like it says right here. And I know what these words mean, you know, like, and that is not, that's not exalt. That is not all at all what this says. Um, and that's when you have, you know, you literally have the Reformation, you have the Renaissance, you like the 300 years post that was insane, specifically because you just had a m millions and millions of minds interpreting and challenging and iterating on ideas that had been gatekept before that did not have access. That is what we've seen over the last really 14 years it's not even 15 yet and that is scaring the shit out of everybody who lives in the little gatekeeper community and they've been used to that power and they still thought they had it and i think it, it was really 2016 that made them lose their absolute minds and we saw it in the mainstream media and now they're panicking because nobody's listening to the mainstream media anymore. There is a larger swath of people, and specifically the people who matter, in the sense that the people who just did whatever the mainstream media told them to do almost always amount to nothing anyway. They're, they're just waiting. They're the ask for permission people. And the so what what we have is a massive wave against that. But the analogy I like to use is that a an abusive relationship is most abusive when both parties realize it's, it's over. Like that's when it gets really bad because the 
the one who is used to being the abuser and used to having someone that reveres them, looks up to them, and fears them and does what they're told, panics when they realize they're not important anymore, when nobody's going to listen to them. And that's when they get extra angry, extra jealous, and beat the crap out of them on the weekends and Tuesdays and Wednesdays, Wednesdays just for fun. And that is unfortunately the era that I think we're in when we look at it from a psychological point of view. The gatekeepers are trying to figure out where to put their gates back up. I mean, each in the CTIL files, they literally say it. And that was one of the crazy, that's one of the crazy things is like, it's like this unspoken, it's like, it's like, like, oh, it's a conspiracy theory to think that all mainstream media, that the corporate media is all like giving the same narrative when they literally say in the thing, the government used to have control over the media because it was just ABC and CNBC. Like, you know, like she literally writes it out that when we had control over all of the major media, everything was fine. But now everybody goes on Twitter and, and it's like, oh my God, you're literally saying you're saying out loud exactly what every what you have claimed was a conspiracy theory. No, the narrative was was intact. The narrative was intact because there was not enough bandwidth around the major broadcasting companies, around the major, um, uh, around broadcast television. You know, think about it. 1989. How did a million? How could you ever have anything that a million people saw? If you didn't get I mean, released in a theater, you didn't get published on broadcast TV, or you didn't get nationally syndicated radio, there's no – not possible. It's just not possible. There, there were no avenues for it. And those the, – the, the amount of chokehold, like the, the choke points in those three, you're talking about like barely a handful of major corporations that basically own every single platform in which – the reach of a million people was even considered, was even like a possibility. Today, every single person on every single social media could say something clever or that just triggers triggers the right thought at the right time. And, and 200 million people could see it in a matter of hours. I mean, look at, look at, uh, your dollar ain't shit. Look at Richmond north of Richmond. Like, just think about that. Like, read about that story. Like, look, were you there? Did you did you watch that happen in like four days? He went from nothing. He went from nothing to chilling and talking to Joe Rogan. <laughs> and I think everybody like really discounts that. Joe Rogan is the largest media, is the largest bandwidth media on the planet. Nobody has the listenership. Nobody. Not 60 minutes. Not nothing on Fox News. Nobody. Joe Rogan has the Joe Rogan. Fear factor guy, you know? Fear, the fear factor dude has <laughs> the largest media enterprise essentially on the planet. And it's not owned. Like it's not, it's not corporate owned. Like the, the closest thing is Spotify has like an exclusive on publishing, but it's still just an RSS feed. 
like and they paid how much for that <laughs> you know it was like how many it was like a billion was, wasn't it like 400 million like it was something insane it was retarded like, it was retarded it was retarded um and, but the bandwidth is around is out of their control now and this is the same thing that bitcoin does um and what they are trying to do we've reconsolidated into centralized platforms but what they are mad about and again, explicitly what they say, this is the crazy thing, is that their narrative is just that they're the good guys. And if there is a narrative that is contradictory to them, then it's the bad guys. And that, I mean, they, they call it cognitive security. Cognitive security. I, if, if, if I had to come up with a silly euphemism for a story for thought control, that's what I'd use. Cognitive security. Security. Like it's Are almost you comical. Fucking kidding me? Like it sounds like a joke. It sounds like a Babylon B article about mm -hmm. them. And what they lay out is that you have to control the narrative because dangerous, dangerous things. Which they even she even said in in a podcast. She specifically said a lot of misinformation is actually true, but it's told in the wrong context. They basically. They give you the wrong conclusion from the fact, and therefore it's misinformation. And that makes it worthy of removal, of being shut down, of being censored, of being quietly and backdoor kicked off of social media platforms and bank accounts shut down. These are the methods that they talk about. Oh, and one of the preemptive things in, in their, their documents for like laying out their strategies and which is which is basically it's it's been a bunch of government strategies like uh, I can't remember the name that they it, it, one of the ones was called disarm, uh, but it, it's literally just like intelligence, like military intelligence strategies. They've just kind of like repackaged it. And then now they call it a nonprofit and they say like, oh, we're just oh, there's thousands of us getting together all for volunteer purposes to, you know, to just to just make sure truth rises to the top. But literally one of like their main tactic is defame is to is to literally ridicule and discredit as soon as someone challenges the quote-unquote narrative and one of the first things that they went against was everybody who said lockdowns wouldn't work anybody who was anti-lockdown was an enemy was an enemy of the people um and like the narrative that they tell is so sociopathic like it's so blindly if the narrative is different from us, it's, it's, it's like the, one of the examples that like had popped into my head was, did you ever read and dig into the climate gate stuff back when it was real? I don't know, I guess like the, uh, now. the, it's like the emails that went around saying like, listen, like basically them saying like, we need to massage this data to make it tell the story we want it to. Yeah. That was extremely like, I mean like the, the trove of stuff of like, we should not start this, chart at zero because it's going to look like this is not important like so we're gonna have to we need we need to make sure it looks like this and if you start your start date like like one of the ones that was crazy to me was that like based on like their time frame like it, it literally what what they were trying to what they were trying to show could actually be lower than the other it's like one of those things where your reference point is the only thing that actually matters it's and so they crime. were like make sure you use it's, it's chartalytics you know like yeah, it's just yeah. like how do you just make it look like the story you're trying to tell and they would literally say it's too dangerous for us to just blanket give them the data without making sure that it looks this way because people will interpret it incorrect they'll come to the wrong conclusion 
Um, and this is that same, it's that same mentality. It's the gatekeepers have already determined that the conclusion is worth manipulating the evidence that what they already know about what the data should show them is worthy of manipulating what everyone else is able to see. And so at the end of the day, doesn't matter how benevolent Elon is, and it doesn't matter how great what he did was, Twitter, again, is just no solution. And the censorship industrial, the CTIL stuff, which is just a drop in the bucket. It's a drop in a massive, massive bucket of everything that's going on. The Twitter files, the Facebook files, all of it. it, it it's very, very clear that this is a system, uh, systemic and widely, widely used apparatus or, or set of methods for um, just shutting down anybody that disagrees with the mainstream. But the thing is, is it's working less and less. It's being exposed more and more. They will get worse. They will get more violent. They will, the hammer will come down a lot faster and harder, but also a lot less people will, will listen. And a lot more people will be pointing out the hammer. I think I think we literally get both at the exact same time because the more aggressive and abusive they get and more uh, censoring they get, uh, the uh, the more everybody just realizes that, OK, yeah, this was just a scam like this. This was all horseshit um, and they've been lying to us. Um, <clears throat> but uh, the crazy thing, though, is that Elon was a real wrench in their plans, I think. Um, there's been a lot of wrenches, but. Elon was a particularly public one uh, because, I mean, it had, it had Elon not taken over Twitter, we wouldn't have had the Twitter files. Like, it would have all been conspiracy. I mean, the number of people that were saying that this was happening and the number of people who were explicitly involved in the Twitter files, who publicly just demeaned and said, you people are lunatics. You're all conspiracy theorists. I can't, oh yeah, we're censoring. And then literally they had names for it. They had, they had, they had like replacement words so that they didn't say censor, you know, like what was, what was the one for shadow banning? It was like attention oh. filtering or some shit mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Like, like it, like it was exactly what was crazy. It was exactly all of the stuff everybody was saying was happening. And had that not been the case, that that had actually been, I mean, he had to spend $40 billion to find out what was going on. And I really kind of think that's why he did it um, yeah. as that he was just, he was just like, this has to be, this has to be happening, you know? Um, and, uh, uh, but that was, I, I really kind of think, you know, there's, there's always like those, those moments where the pressure's building and the tide starts to turn, but, I literally think that's going to be seen in hindsight as a major, major moment in which the tipping, like, like it was just like, they were just like dead even. And then it was just like, it just crossed right at that moment because it just, the conspiracy theorist jar of just like, man, we're winning just started to pile up. <laughs> um, so it's overflowing now. <laughs> it is overflowing. It is absolutely overflowing. Uh, but that's why. So, so I, I believe that was like a really important shift. And I actually have, I have to tip my hat that what happened on Twitter was actually a really, really big deal in the shifting of the tide. 
but but that's not going to move the ocean like at the end of the day it just becomes their biggest vulnerability and they've got a big stick and they've got an easy head you know um and at that's going to come down at some point in some way he's already had to you know uh i think it was like france china uh, like there's been like four or five countries where he's like started specifically censoring special to that country and like because it's illegal to say some hate speech thing over in this place and you can't you know can't say anything bad about Xi and all that stuff so it's it's already it's already dead i mean it's it like it's already trending back to where it was um but it was just a fascinating and still remains particularly in the US a counterbalancing force a, a massive bandwidth around what is approved narrative still yeah. still continues to be that um but noster is the only thing that's actually a solution noster and hole punch like yeah. it, it fundamentally has to be a protocol it has to be whatever the solution to platforms is um and right now there's not the bandwidth for it you know it's like what 100,000 active users maybe on Noster I think we got a little more like, than that now but it's it's still a drop in the bucket relatively speaking yeah. yeah it's small it's small yeah but it's working it's working and it has no center um but i think we've i think we are and will solve that problem and just like in 2009 you could potentially see t- 2009 2010 that social media was going to be the new bandwidth, that the the story was going to shift, how the story was forming was going to shift down this new river. It was all it was just a little stream, but it was a constant stream. And it was going to get wider and it was going to get deeper and it was going to get bigger. That I think, I think the pressure has built now that everything has shifted to the social media platforms. The pressure has built because they're censoring one of the great or uh easy examples of how I think the pressure is building. I almost always just have to use my own perspective for this is that I can't invest that much in YouTube. Like I say shit like this, I'm going to get kicked off. Like, I mean, it would be nice to have, you know, a hundred thousand subscribers and I hope to get like a ton of subscribers and stuff on YouTube, but I can't depend on it. I'm never going to think that like, this is guaranteed income because I'm not, I'm not going to censor myself. Um, like to some or or at least I'll do like what uh, Russell Brand or whatever does is where he does like thirty minutes of his show on YouTube and then says go go to Rumble if you want to hear actual conversation you pussies. <laughs> um, but like there there was a uh, my brother was just talking to a, a a guy who does car stuff because um, like my brother's big into cars and he does all the three D printing things and. Uh, 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 one guy who had like a huge account, like it was his whole income, like his life was this YouTube channel, basically. He got taken down, no recourse, like he's trying to appeal and he's waiting to hear. He don't talk about politics. He don't, talk, he don't just like, he don't talk about Trump or, or conspiracy theories or Twitter files or anything like that. He has no idea what happened. He just randomly, he's probably, he was probably just a, you know, caught by an AI. Yeah. for something complete bullshit like it was just like a misinterpretation it was a, it was a you know false positive and he just got completely removed and it was just like google uh, uh one one dude uh uh took a picture of his son or something in a bath 
and put it on his Google Drive because uh, he had like a backup on his Google Drive. And he got locked out of everything and he all of his stuff got sent to the police automatically and like all of this stuff for child child porn. And he spent months like just like trying to trying to get get everything back and protect himself and it had nothing to do. It was like it was literally an algorithm that just like automatically set all of this shit in motion. Um like and in that same way, like you can't like there is no stable, there is no, you know, like money is the hedge against uncertainty. That is why money is the most valuable good in society. Because certainty and stability is what everything that we do drives us toward. You know, you you get a you get a TV so that you have stability and certainty in in your leisure and rela- relaxation. You get a car so you have stability and certainty in your ability to travel and your ability to get to the hospital if there's an emergency. Like that's like almost all of it is literally about getting some stable buffer against the chaos of the world. And so when you start taking these platforms, when these platforms that have benefited people by giving them a voice and by giving them bandwidth and by allowing them to weigh information through their social graph rather than through what the major three broadcasters want them to weigh it according to and rather than just being hearing the same horseshit over and over and over again uh, fed to them by a tv they actually interact they actually argue you know information actually flows in a completely different way when those become so unreliable. They're, they're, they're literally building the very pressure needed to make themselves obsolete. They now think they're too big. They think they're too big to fail. They think they're too big to fail when really they were too open to fail. And now they are closing themselves off thinking that now they're big enough that it won't go in the opposite direction. But all they do, all they do is build the pressure Sure, it's annoying to go against the network effect. It's not that annoying. It's not that bad. If you if you don't feel like you have any certainty, if you if you're worried, if you can't even depend on, you know, the income from YouTube next month, you will never build an enterprise of value on YouTube. And YouTube won't be of any value. The more and more people who have that in the back of their minds, the less YouTube is worth. And it'll take five years to play out, ten years. But it will play out. It'll play out until they stop or they die. But they'll probably <laughs> do it until the momentum is against them. And then they'll just die out of inevitability because they didn't. They reacted rather than realized the trend ahead of time. Um, but protocols will solve it. Protocols will solve it. Social media always should have been a protocol. I mean, that <laughs> was the attempt, right? That was what Twitter was originally when uh, I can't remember the name of it. What was it before it became Twitter? Oh, you remember? Whatever. Well, there was a different name. It was a different there, project. There was, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> now, you know, it I think should it's, have been a protocol. I think you're spot on there because it, it's really amazing to me the hubris and the condescension that uh, those in power, and we can, you know, separate them into different tiers of the political powers and you know the the monetary powers and. You know, we saw some of that hubris from Jamie Dimon today in that clip uh, with Warren, you know, oh uh, which is a whole other mm-hmm. thing we can get into. But the, the hubris of these fucking people to think that 
they have the self-proclaimed authority to be the arbiters of truth and that they view it as such a threat. What does it tell you about the strength of their convictions in their own ideas that they're espousing when they cannot stand the idea of the ideas being in an open and free market subject to everyone's criticism. Like if, if you can't, if you have an idea that can't stand up in the free market, it's probably not a very good fucking idea. Like that's, if it has to be forced down people's throats, it's probably not very tenable. Good ideas don't require force. (laughs) Exactly. And this, you know, what you said at the end gives me some hope, you know, this idea that they are going to be their own demise because now the, you know, the genie is out of the bottle and yes, uh, you know, social media platforms are becoming more and more centralized, right? And there is greater possibility as you consolidate onto one throat to choke, there is the greater chance, even if that throat is uh, underneath a very rich head, who is a, you know, many, many, many times billionaire, there's always ways they can exert pressure uh, through other means, right? And usually those are going to be economic means. And I know Elon said, you know, you know, fuck you to the advertisers, but he didn't say fuck you to China. He didn't say fuck you to Turkey. (laughs) He didn't, you know, like he still bent the knee when he deemed he needed to. He just doesn't need the money from Disney. Okay, fine. But that is the beauty of protocols, right? It's, I mean, it's fundamentally, it's a story to get back to stories. It's a story of centralization versus decentralization. It's a story of closed versus open. It's a story of a completely top-down, centrally controlled, centrally planned economy and economy of ideas versus a free market and a free market of ideas. And ultimately, you know, you can exert centralized control for a time, but eventually you spread too thin, you get too big and you have too many weaknesses where you can then be taken down because enough people say, I'm fucking done with this. And what I love about Nostra is, and Bitcoin, I I like to use the analogy of of the the Hydra from Greek mythology, right? Many, many heads. And when you cut off one, two more grow in its place. And so, yeah, you can find a head to cut off. That's fine, but you're not going to kill it. You're actually going to make it stronger because now the other heads are fucking pissed and they are hungry and they, they want to fucking eat you alive. And that's a beautiful thing to, because as soon as you take out that throat to choke, you give power to the people who are using it, right? Because then if you're using a system that is fundamentally controlled centrally, it's never going to be truly open. It's never going to be a true free market. You're always going to be at someone else's beck and call, so to speak. Yeah. And that's why, you know, it's so important to have not only the monetary layer of Bitcoin, that base layer of sound money that where there is no throat to choke, but also that base layer of open communication because we need both, you know, we, they they go hand in hand and, you know, luckily with Nostra, they, they really go hand in hand with things like zaps. And that's a, it's a whole different, beautiful realm of possibilities with value enabled signal being delivered on that protocol. 
that's that is a huge, huge fucking deal that I think is only going to become more apparent how big a deal that is in the coming years, yeah. you know, because it, it value yeah, cuts sure. through the noise, right? Value cuts mm -hmm. through the noise and it cuts through the bots and it cuts through the spam and it cuts through the propaganda because value actually, monetary value actually means something, at least in mm -hmm. when it's sound money, not so much when it's fiat, then you can throw as much fucking money as you want at the problem, you know, but yeah. it, that Jamie Dimon thing today just got me. I think it got a lot of people riled and so it, you, had, you had a great tweet about it too. You know, it, it was something to the effect of, you know, basically like, okay, You've got Jamie Dimon and Elizabeth Warren agreeing on this. Like, what does that tell you? Where you've got this <laughs> self-proclaimed Elizabeth Warren who bemoans the greedy corporations and the, the super rich. Jamie Dimon is literally the epitome of that, but like at an Uber level. Like he's the he's the greedy corporation that's also a fucking bank. Yep. Like that also has the power to deplatform you from money. And but they're just the chummiest chums that could ever be, right? Like that should if fucking she, tell. She got voted. Like her her campaign was about being against the big banks. Yeah. Well, she was the, the one irony. who ran the. Uh, oh, the uh, irony. What was she? Was she the one who ran the TARP program, the Troubled Asset Relief Program, back in the day, or oversaw it to make sure the like during the uh, during the '08 crisis? I, I think she I had a pretty heavy hand in TARP. Don't quote me on it. I'll I'll, I'll dig into it later. But I mean. Again, it's just this, to something you said earlier, just with regard to the censorship and the, uh, you know, the censorship industrial complex, like they're saying the quiet part out loud now, like the mask mm -hmm. is slipping off. They were doing a pretty good job for a while. I think to give them a little credit, they were doing a pretty good job, all things considered at tricking most people into thinking that maybe they really are the good guys. And this really is for the greater good. And, and, yeah. you know, there's just some, some things that you just shouldn't be able to say or do or whatever, but now the mask is coming off and you're realizing, oh wait, this isn't about the greater good at all. This is all about control. It is all about control. And I think that because of social media, even in its current mainstream centralized form, as you said, like the power of that retweet button the ability for virality that it's not manufactured, that's not prescribed, that is organic and emergent. That is huge. And it's one of the things that excites me about Noster and some of the algorithms that, you know, I think we will get on Noster, which are more value enabled algorithms, which can of course mm -hmm. be gamed in their own ways, but at least it's getting a little bit closer to providing actual signal. And you see some of this like on Primal, you know, with the, the top zapped. And again, some of those things can be gamed, but you'll be able to, you know, we're still very, very early in that phase. So I'm excited to see what comes out of Noster in on the algorithmic front in terms of value, value centric algorithms, because yeah. I think that's really important. Otherwise, how do we find signal in this noisy fucking world? Like yeah. I, I'm, I'm excited yeah. for that. There's a, uh... It's interesting because the you talk about like <clears throat> Nostra's important decentralization, the communication layer, while Bitcoin's the value layer, is like really in a sense they're yin and yang, like they're kind of at the same place in the sense that Bitcoin relies on decentralized communications for the network, and then at the same time 
we can only actually sustain decentralized communication if we have decentralized money to fund it. Like it's never actually going to be sustainable if we can't monetize it. Um, and you know, this is why we ended up in centralized platforms because it was so, it became so valuable to sell information, to just sell your user base basically to an advertiser. Um, and, and then control and manipulate what and where things landed in front of a person. Um, <clears throat> so decentralized money was always a prerequisite because infrastructure is expensive. <laughs> it's expensive as shit. Um, and this has to be monetized. But that's one of the reasons why I think Hole Punch has been um, like slow on the uptake, specifically because they have a lot more legwork to do off the out of the gate and and i really feel like keat in particular is like one of those things where they i mean you could say they bit off more than they could chew in the short term uh or that maybe in a sense they they just started with something that was like a particularly difficult task it's one of the things that i i tend to do is that like you, you know when i come up with this, this idea or i want to like tackle some new tech or, or a new piece of software or something, I usually think up the most complicated thing that I could do with it. And then that's the project I start on. Like I could just do an easier, simpler project just to prove my point, you know, or, the, or just like to start, get used to it, start to get used to it. But like, uh, have you seen the Lord of the Rings meme that I did? The Wait, you mean the video one? Yeah, the video meme or whatever. <laughs> That was actually my first ever project in After Effects. I'd never used After Effects before. And so I took on like a three minute, like, like tons of different effects and everything. It took me like six months, like an hour or two every single night. And I, I don't even know how many tutorials I watched. So like one of those things, like, I really feel like that's where Hole Punch and Keat are, is that they, they want to have a million people in a peer-to-peer -peer room, completely decentralized, that has a chat log, a live chat log. That's nuts. That's like absolutely insane. The project that I'm trying to build with a single developer that I've been working with for, uh, we've been working on this for five months, maybe. Um, I feel like it's far lower hanging fruit. I feel like I've done a much better job of being like, this is actually something that this can do that basically nothing else can. But one of the amazing things about that, about the way that protocol works and why I think, especially in the short to midterm, Noster and Keat or, or Hole Punch, uh, Hypercore, whatever you want to call it. It's got too many names. <laughs> this ecosystem and Noster should work really, really well together. They, we need to have a lot of bridges is because Noster works incredibly good for aggregating large groups of people by taking the best of what centralized does do but then essentially it doesn't federate it because federation federating it means a specific thing but but just by laying out a landscape of relays um whereas peer to the peer-to-peer -peer in hypercore and everything starts at the other at the aggressive extreme and just says, we're just not even, we're going to stay so far away from centralization. There is going to be no distinction whatsoever between client and server. There will be no relays. Everybody is the same. Everybody is just a peer. And now they have to build up from that. So it makes sense that the lowest hanging fruit for Noster as a kind of like global, uh, global social media web, so to speak, 
is actually vastly more achievable and required far fewer pieces. Like that was one of the things that Fiat Fiat Jaff talked about is that like it, it's it's as simple like like just break it down to its simplest pieces and just make it work. That's all we need it to do, and then we can build out. And that's why I think it has just such a massive amount of momentum, both in development and in users, because it just blew up. It's a year. Yeah. It's basically a year. Like it was this time last year that this was like big news and I made my key, you know? Um, and whereas Hole Punch and Hypercore and that whole side of the ecosystem is aggressively peer to peer, but one of the crazy things, one of the things that just gets me every time, like I do like an update on um, the desktop app or whatever, is that it's being delivered over Hypercore. It's being delivered over the, the protocol which means there's no central server feeding the app. Like, like when Maffintosh does an update on his computer at home, he can push an update and I can download it straight from him. <laughs> it's entirely peer-to-peer. -peer. It is literally what BitTorrent 2.0 should be. And because of that, as we build that thing out, it is going to understand he has to have no infrastructure. He doesn't have to have any platform permission. He doesn't have to put it on GitHub and GitHub has to handle all the downloads for, you know, all 300,000 million users, whatever it is that are trying this thing out. He distributes it to anybody that downloads from him and then they can get it from me. If my brother logs on and Mapintosh isn't online, he can download the up update from my computer. Like, it is literally delivered peer to peer. But you just you just hit a refresh, restart, and you've got the new version. And it's all signed by his key because the entire thing is key-based. That is going to – the one thing that Noster, uh, Noster doesn't do super well or, or has – it's not even that it doesn't do it very well. It's that they've just offloaded the task entirely is hosting, is dealing with lots and lots of data. Keat and Hole Punch have the solution to data. And that's why I think in the short to midterm, if we can figure out how to bridge the infrastructure, it's just kind of like one of those things you need the web and you need email and you need, you want tour and like all of these things. I think both of these things are going to be prime to, you know, in kind of the yin to the, to Bitcoin's yang. Uh, and they're both obviously from the ground up built to have Bitcoin and lightning integrated um in fact you can actually look in the stuff with keat or whatever and it's already you can already see it it's got all the stuff for lightning um uh, in the code and i think they're actually uh there's rumors that they're now talking about breeze in the sdk and just doing like the the on the fly like just make a wallet um so it's going to be really really fascinating to see essentially zaps come to that ecosystem because that's entirely agnostic to whatever code or app you're doing and when you can just kind of take that same block of code, that same wallet, basically wherever you go, um, like you can just basically have a whole app, app ecosystem with one wallet that just kind of travels with you and is directly integrated into all of these things that you do. If you just want to monetize something, you just monetize something. Um, it's going to be nuts. It's going to be nuts. And with the pressure building from the centralized platforms, um, and the censorship industrial complex just, you know, burgeoning, uh, coming into its own. I think the pressure is going to get bigger and bigger. And I think the release valve is just going to get fatter. Um, like the, the ability to move. I mean, like imagine how difficult it was to get people on social media 
back in you know late 90s and through the early 2000s like the the 2000 range like that was a huge barrier that took i mean i guess like facebook and youtube years were like 2002 2004 like it was it was really all early 2000s and then the social media wave really exploded with mobile phones 2010 2011 i think that timeline is going to be shorter I think it's going to be shorter this time. Um, so what really we can look at was a 20 year time frame between initiation to like, yeah, this matters a whole lot more than broadcast media. Maybe we've got 10 years on this one. I think it's kind of crazy in 2006, 2007 people. I don't, I think people, People have this idea. It's amazing how much we lose sight of history and we think that what we see today is what is. Like, it's just the way it ha always has to be. Because everybody thinks that the internet has to be centralized and that there's no, now it's, oh, it's always going to be a platform. They're always going to have control. It's like 2007, peer-to-peer uh, -peer traffic on the internet for peer-to-peer -peer protocols, for BitTorrent, for... Um, news groups for i mean like just like all the various mechanisms that we had the bandwidth the amount of data it's like 70 percent of the internet wow it's like 70 percent wow the overwhelming majority of the internet was essentially peer-to-peer -peer in some form or fashion <laughs> then it trended down and it was smartphones it was smartphones they didn't have the data to do it you know it's different when you know, desktop computers and servers is not a bigger gap, right? Right. Smartphones had to be tiny, had a little a little battery. You know, that it had to be an end user device, um, and they weren't always online. You know, like like it just it changed very quickly, um, and that was one of the reasons why we went aggressively back towards centralization. But I think we're going to swing back. I think I still think it's ahead of us. The the highest, the all-time high for the amount of bandwidth on the internet is peer-to-peer. -peer. Um, I think probably five years, especially with AI, like the way like building is going to change, like building software. I just read, uh, wait, no, today's Thursday. Did it get released today? No, tomorrow's Thursday. I guess it'll be tomorrow. Uh, I just read an article on The New Yorker um, which I don't even know if I have permission for it. I don't care. I'll take it down if they send me a <laughs> cease and desist or some shit. Um, but uh, it was a coder. It was a programmer um, who uh, says a coder considers the waning days of the craft. And he talks about how like with AI and what he's come to use it for and what he's seen in the last year is that he feels like he should be writing a eulogy for programming as an art or as a as a, you know, everybody's like, learn to code. He's like, mm -mm, I don't think so. I got a kid coming like right now. And I've always thought I'm going to teach him to code in the same way that my parents were like, got to teach this kid to read and write. Um, <clears throat> it's a really good article, really well written too. Um, I always like it when I find a good writer. Um, but uh, he uh, uh, just wrote, it just wrote a phenomenal piece about like how quickly he thinks that space is going to change and how, most of our projects and I genuinely think that in probably two to three years time, most of what we think of as software will be written on the fly. 
in the sense that we'll probably have blocks of code that are managed by an agent, by, by an LLM that we interact with, especially when the hard, the first iteration of AI specialized hardware, um, and then operating systems, I think we're going to have operating systems with LLMs based like built in or where we can basically swap out LLMs like models for whatever the hell we need in and out of the operating system. And that it's basically just got, it's, it's kind of at a foundational layer in how we interact with the computer. Um, uh, and when that happens, I think we'll probably have basically these library of like functions. And when we want to complete a task or we want to do something that a large part of the software will be written specific to the, to the way we need it at the time. The, the way those blocks work together will actually be, be put together on the fly by a main agent with a combination of other agents that kind of specialize in different tasks. And so the software, you know, to talk about Mark Andreessen or whatever, like, you know, like software is eating the world. Software is going to eat the world twice as fast. <laughs> like I have, I've been building micro apps on my computer like crazy for like just a bunch of tasks and things that I do from like daily. And I don't pro I'm not a programmer. I'm not a programmer. I still cannot, if you set, set me down with a, a, just a script, open script text file or whatever, um, and told me to write a program, I got nothing. I got nothing. I have like best, best case is I can Google something and start taking some pieces. I can kind of read it. Like, uh, you know, I could, I could do stuff in, you know, bash script or whatever. If I need, if give me two lines, maybe, maybe I could come up with something, but, uh, but that's about it. That's about it. But I've made some incredibly complicated things with chat GPT. Um, and I've had to correct ChatGPT a couple of times, but it was only because it gave me a block of code that I could just be like, this thing literally renamed the variable and forgot <laughs> that it used to name, it used this name up at the top. And it was only because I could look and see through the code that like it's trying to call that same variable and it literally named it the wrong thing. <laughs> and so I could fix that and then make it work. But like, I didn't write the code, you know, like that's the best I can do is I can read. <laughs> um, and we just got started again chat gpt the the blowing up of llms was this time last year it's been a year it's been a year on noster it's been a year on ai it's been a year on keat like all of these things are brand new we haven't even had a bear market cycle for this <laughs> like I literally like when I say when I say the door just opened on social media and smartphones, like the hangar door just opened for this <laughs> stuff. And imagine we go through a Bitcoin bull cycle and then come back down into a bear market. We go back down into like a massive build cycle and we've get, gotten to see a first iteration of successes and failures in this space. And now we've got a first generation of AI hardware basically built in all the machines so they're optimized. We've got the first generation of Mojo, which is a, uh, a programming language that basically bridges between the insane abstraction and inefficiency of Python straight down to communicate directly to the hardware, which you're talking about like between 10x and 100x improvements. Like just, just straight out the gate, just building on top of Mojo. And it's like, it's extremely modular. So everything's going to move to this because everything's using PyTorch. Everything's using Python. Um, and like 
dude, dude, you put this on a one to two year on and just on top of what we've already seen. I mean, just in the last five days, I've seen two tools, two new tools that do uh, like on the fly, like video animation, like, like replacement yeah. of like posed persons. And I mean, what, what was, what was available six months ago is now so obsolete. It's silly. And I, I, I just, I literally downloaded on my computer yesterday. I haven't even gotten to plug stuff into it to try it, but some of the stuff they show, I think anonymity on the internet and like, you know, you know, you know, you have like only fans or whatever. They have like the mask or whatever, you, you know, like, like the, the anonymity and like the porn and stuff. I think you're going to have men doing porn as women. I think, Whoa. I think you're going to have a- like anonymity on the internet is going to change completely because you can just live change your face now. Um, <laughs> And as those tools get like easy to use, um, it's going to be a weird place. But here's here's the crazy thing: is that all the consequences of this sort of tech is a consequence of empowering the individual. Sure, there's a lot of negatives when potentially bad people can do really bad things. Just like if you give everyone in society a gun. There's a lot of people who can do bad things with a gun. But guess what you can't do? You can't rule them as a tyrant. <laughs> you can't a society where everybody has a gun. It's actually a pretty polite society. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was one of the crazy things about the Wild West is, you know, we have this silly like dime. If you ever read the book, uh, The Not So Wild Wild West. No. Oh, it's brilliant. I'll have to check it it's out. It's brilliant. It's a complete reframing of everything that we think of as the Wild West. What we think of as the Wild West is our dime novels, the equivalent of comic books, of people who went West, came back East, and then sold their story (laughs) and talked about how crazy it was. It's pure exaggeration. Pure exaggeration. If you look at the data, it was the most boring place, time, and span of all of human history. It was nothing I mean, boring in the sense of like crime and murder and bank robberies. Like one of the, one of the stats actually they went through is that, you know, we, you think this like, it's like, you know, Billy the kid and, and you know, all these like, like famous is all these like crazy, like super famous gunslingers, you know, like it's the fucking wild rest. Right. And then when you look at the stats, the number of actual bank robberies that happened in this time, the entire period and the entire zone, the half of the country that was considered the West, the number of actual bank robberies, like physical go in with a gun bank robberies, was less in the entire span of the Wild West than in one year in Chicago. <laughs> Holy shit. There were like none of them. That's why they were famous, because they never happened. Imagine if you had a country in which there were no bank robberies and then someone pulled off a bank robbery. How many movies about the bank, that bank robbery would there be? That was the Wild West. And it's a fascinating book. You should definitely check I it out. I got to check that out. Yeah. Uh, and so in that sense, using that kind of like thought process, um, the individual being empowered is actually... What we're actually looking at is the explosion of bandwidth for alternative systems, alternative services, uh, alternative search, 
and assessment. I have a fucking machine that can uh, that can scrape the internet and search and find things by myself without Google. <laughs> that is going to be an AI tool. If my power goes out, I mean, excuse me, if my internet goes out, not if my power goes out, nothing works with the power out. Um, <laughs> uh, if my internet goes out or I'm on a plane and uh, I'm just bringing my laptop, I have an LLM that I can just ask all sorts of crap to. I basically have a compressed version of the entire knowledge of the internet in a sense. I have generalized knowledge of every topic on my computer. And it's like media knowledge. It's not like it's like brilliant and, you know, it comes up with things that are incorrect. But, you know, if I asked you about how to build an air conditioning, you probably wouldn't give me much. But if I asked you're, you're right. a typical, if I asked a typical AC repair person, I might not get the, I might not get the best answer. I might not get perfect accuracy. He might tell me something wrong, but damn it, he's going to give me, he's going to point me in the right direction. He's going to give me a lot of foundation of a lot of things that are actually really, really useful and are, is an incredible base to start from. And that's just an average AC person. Chad GBT, uh, uh, Mistral, like Llama 2, like all of these models, they have an average, median AC repair person knowledge of AC machines. Like it, they, they have general knowledge of everything compressed down. And that is one of the most powerful things about them is that like, uh, like one of the ways that I used, uh, I was searching for, I, I knew I needed to build a system for my heater, for my, uh, uh what's miner, um, in the attic. I'm trying to build a system to have it temperature controlled. Cause right now I just run it on my computer. I have a Python script that will, uh, watch the temperature and it will put it to sleep or wake it up. Um, but I don't have a temperature sensor yet to make it run like a thermostat, but I was going to do it all through my computer and then figure out how to make a, a system like a, a raspberry Pi thing for it. Um, and I think I've got a, I think I've got most of it worked out, thankfully, because of ChatGPT, um, uh, with uh, the help of AI, actually, um, in a lot of different pieces of it. Uh, but one of the crazy things was that I was looking for, I knew I needed a relay to, I wanted an emergency shutoff. I wanted the, the box that I'm building, the new box that I'm building to put the miners in. I want to have an emergency shutoff of if the temperature gets too high in this, I want to have a uh, heat triggered uh, extinguisher. And I want to have a, a temperature sensor where if everything is just not responding and I just get really high temperature sensors or a smoke detector or something that it just cuts off power, just hard, hard cuts power. And so I just kept looking for relays. I kept looking for, for like, like, you know, something determined power. So it's like, I just kept searching for stuff and I could not find what I was looking for. I was like, this is not how do I wire this up to a thing? And then finally I was like, all right, well, I'll just ask, I'll just ask GPT. And, <laughs> and so I asked and it literally just told me, it's like, what you're looking for is called a contactor. <laughs> and I just searched contactor and like, that was exactly what I was looking for. I just didn't know what it was called, but it was done. It was in such a way that I couldn't search it. Like I couldn't search Google to find out what it was called, you know, because I did not have enough context purely the jargon it was purely a jargon it was a lack of semantic knowledge about what to call the thing to find it and it was only because of that that i found it um and that's like one of those things imagine that you just had somebody with you all the time with just general knowledge not great again you know 
It, it's not perfect. It can't tell you all of the details of everything, but you still have Google. You still can do like explicit searches. You can still find tutorials. But imagine if you had a person with general knowledge to direct you and to help you figure out what to search. I mean, that should probably save me hours. Just oh, yeah. that one question. Um, and that, the fact that we can basically already in a matter of months after these were open sourced, we had open source versions, they, they figured out how to quantize it. Like, like at the very beginning, everybody was like, this is, this is why the first read that I did on AI Unchained um, was we have no moat. It was a, a memo yeah. from a Google exec. Um, and uh, uh, one of the first things uh, that happened was like within like three, they were like, they said like open AI was nobody was going to be able to compete because you'd never be able to get these things running on a small machine. You had to have massive servers and, you know, it was just a necessity. This was going to be a, only something that was capable with huge, huge computing power. And the person with the most computing power is going to win and everybody else is going to be obsolete. Uh, and uh, one of the things that he said that I thought was just hilarious is that like within like three weeks after this was open source, uh, mo motherfuckers had this thing running on a toaster. <laughs> yeah. Like they had, it was really slow. It was really slow, but you could literally do it as the, the quantization method or whatever that they did. You can just get it running on small hardware. So going back, after we get an iteration of hardware that's designed for this, we're going to have chips in the same that we have GPU chips, unless of course the CPU just ends up becoming AI specific, but because there's so much other computation, I wonder, I really kind of think in the same way that the Apple vision pro has a, uh, a spatial chip. It's called the R. I can't remember what they, what the R refers to, but it's the, the chip is the R one, you know, just like they have the M one. Um, uh, they have an entirely new chip to, watch 3d space um i think we're going to have an ai chip like it's it's kind of like the asic of modeling of uh, language models um or machine learning uh but when we have when we have a generation of that um which might be the next the whole game's going to change all over again like so many things are going to pile on top of each other so fast and then you look at like an open source community like Noster, uh, uh, Noster and uh, Hole Punch and stuff and like what they've already built. Imagine when this is unleashed to a million highly technically literate people that aren't quite programmers. They're like me, but they can build something. They've got a really good code specialized, like fine-tuned language model. That world, that world looks, it's going to be wild. It's going to be absolutely wild. It's been, a it's, year. it's, it's, it's so exciting though, too, because to, to kind of bring it full circle, this is also why governments are so intent on AI safety in quotes. Oh, 100%. This is exact yeah. because it all again comes back to controlling the narrative. It comes back to centralizing the power. It comes back to I think they're they're actually getting they're kind of understanding the uh the severity of the situation with AI. Like AI has really the potential to just completely upend 
their mo- current mode of control. Like the, mm-hmm. you know, Google, Go- you know, Google has no moat. OpenAI has no moat. The fucking state has no moat. Like this is because when you talk about being the arbiter of truth, you know, and even just as a small example, you think about, you hear, you know, I mean, imagine fucking politicians on the debate stage as a really rudimentary example, but politicians in the debate stage getting fact-checked in real time by an AI that's able to say, you know what, uh, you said you didn't say that, but here we have, you know, put it up right up on the screen behind him. We, here's where you said that actually like five times, uh, in the last week, you know, uh, oh, you're quoting these numbers. Those are actually completely incorrect or based on a false premise. Like as just a, that's an example that could happen right now. Maybe it will happen. I mean, that it's going to happen on social media. You're going to have people because you're able to search more effectively. Like now when you want to take your example, when you want an answer to something, but you don't know exactly quite how to ask the question to Google, like you have to be very specific with Google to get good answers. And even you when you know very, what you're looking for, to exactly, find exactly what you're mm. looking for in the correct terminology. And you're still going to get half a page of ads that are maybe unrelated. <laughs> and, and then the top, you know, things and one of, and all of them, <clears throat> excuse me, all of them are going to be like, first of all, before you even get your answer, it's like when you, even if you search for a recipe online, you know, it's like the first fucking two pages of the recipe are like, when I first had gram, you know, grandma Mima's banana bread. <laughs> oh my goodness. I couldn't believe my, and it's like, you get all this junk, all this noise before you actually get the signal. AI is able to deliver you that signal right out of the gate. And I think yeah. that ability again, cause it's a tool. It's just, it's a tool. It's a tool that we can use to augment and enhance our experience and our capabilities and to massively offload those menial tasks but it's also a tool of empowerment that in the hands of everyone takes a lot of the teeth out of the state because mm-hmm. then they, you know, I think it just, it scares them shitless. The capabilities of again, and as you said, like the door just opened, but man, that is a big door and there is a lot coming out of it and it's coming out faster than anything has ever come, come out. And the intersection of all this happening at once you know, Bitcoin really starting to enter the public psyche in more, let's say, legitimate ways than it has previously. Because I think with each cycle, you see more of that. You see more people saying, you know what, maybe uh, that New York Times article I read three years ago about Bitcoin was actually full of shit. Because now I also see how full of shit they are about so many other things. Um, yeah. And yeah. and then you have Noster and you have incredible purely peer-to-peer tech key hole punch, like so, so many things that cannot be shut down or at least can't be shut down in their entirety. So many pipes where information can flow in a unrestricted way in which it has never f- flown before and can be accompanied by value and value that is actually meaningful and not just printed by a bunch of old fucking idiots well, not idiots. They're smart enough to be where they are, but that doesn't say much, but printed by a bunch of old fucking kleptocrats behind closed doors. That is fucking powerful. And then you throw AI yeah. on top of that and what it enables more and more people to do that they could never have done before. That's a fucking, that's a fucking powerful, powerful storm brewing. The crazy thing is it compounds. Mm-hmm. Like, 
that's what's nuts is that each of these things in isolation are powerful. But all of these things together, like people, people don't think about it, but Nuster, Keat, AI, all of these things make Bitcoin stronger and Bitcoin makes all of those things stronger. One of the, one of the thoughts I had uh, recently in trying to, I'm trying to figure out, uh, have you listened to that episode with uh, uh, Jeff Booth and Pish talking about AI <clears throat> and uh, building the personal AI? Um, well, I've been going down like similar paths and like playing, tinkering with similar things. Um, and one of the thoughts that I had, especially as I've been trying to systematize the show and, you know, bring on producer and, you know, designer and stuff to, to kind of like do a lot of the stuff in the background is that I'm realizing that I needed, I think I said before the show is that, you know, I, I had, my stuff was organized in the sense that like my shit is scattered all over my desk. But if I sit down at it, I know where everything is. If somebody else sits down at it, they're like, what is happening right now? And like, so like, that's, that's how my show worked for a really long time. So when I had to build the system such that somebody else could come in and run it and that if somebody left, I could put somebody in that place and basically they could pick up where they left off. Um, I've had to rethink how all of this stuff works. And one of the things I've realized and one of the things I'm going to going to be doing, um, I haven't I haven't really figured out the the sort of lane chain pieces of the puzzle to to get this to really integrate with the way everybody's working. But I, I don't think it's far away that there's either a pre-built solution already or I figure it out. Um, but I'm gonna be able to teach an LLM how to run the business such that it can train whoever comes to replace any individual person. Like it can guide them. You know, what do you do? You give them an instruction book, right? You say, here are all the things, here are all the websites that you need. Uh, here's access to the logins or, or whatever. Um, and like, here's the structure. Here's where you need to like list all the accounting stuff. Like it's a, it's just a giant set of instructions about what, place in the business you are and how the entire business operates. I think something that will become a major piece of our future because anybody who figures it out first and starts doing it will be so, so ahead of the game of everyone else is an LLM that's trained to run a business is that it's trained on how the business operations work entirely. It understands the HR department. It understands the accounting department. It understands the design and marketing department. And it can increase the bandwidth of between them. You know, how often does tech support not understand what the hell marketing needs and marketing doesn't understand what the hell tech support needs? Like, because they don't have, they're not in the same groups. They don't, they don't go to the water hole together to to chat or whatever their cigarette breaks aren't in the right place they don't have no they have no idea who each other are and they're always just like marketing just always screwing up stuff for tech support they're telling the customers this and that's not what they should be saying imagine if you have an llm that's literally bridging the gap between all of those different people so that you can actually know who to get in touch with and how things are working what's important for each like you could literally as marketing you could ask you know, what would tech support respond to this situation or whatever? And if it's been plugged in and fine-tuned with all of the concerns and things that's happening in tech support, well, then it's going to explain to them that this is probably where you might butt heads after you do this. 
But here's the crazy thing. Everybody in that company picks up and leaves. CEO leaves, HR department leaves, a bomb drops on the building. Everybody's gone, but you still have a copy of the LLM. You still have the business. You can plug anybody, you can go get a hundred people and you can plug it into it and the LLM will tell them how to put it back together. What is a business when the organization system can actually be codified such that it exists without people? that it's stored and anybody else can come pick it up later. I think we'll probably enter a place where the idea of a corporation just kind of becomes like IP, like intellectual property in the BitTorrent age is that sure they, it kind of exists, <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't really exist. Um, in that same sense, what, you know, what's stopping everybody from having a small business if it leaks Apple's LLM for how to run a business? And now anybody who starts up a business out of nothing can basically get LLM advice on how to do their HR, how to do their accounting, and they can get that from square one. And what the hell's business school? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, like think about like, and that's just one application for using LLM for where it particularly shines in just in building sets of instructions and learning how to respond to people to, to, to basically feedback on that. And you could just, you could do this, you could train the already open source and generalized like Llama to just fine tune to an insane weight, everything that goes inside, goes on inside of your company. Um, and now the, the idea of a business structure is just kind of like this open source thing that just keeps getting iterated on. And now you have open source money. Now you have open source business structure as an AI tool. You have open source distributed communications. Again, this compounds, this compounds, you know, like, there's a part of me that, you know, just sees kind of like all the writing on the wall with the debt and fiat and where we are in that cycle. But then there's another part that's like, but what does this look like when this stuff is all really moving? Like, I still think we're just barely figuring Like, I'm still just realizing like basic things that I can do with AI, you know, and I use it a lot. You know, I, I don't go a day without using something. Um, and... I'm st I still feel like I'm just getting into the mindset to realize where it's useful. Like another one that I, I, I found out and I covered this in the, the last episode on AI Unchained was I just was five ways I think you should be using AI. Um, and I was like, I should just do an episode on like, what am I mostly using for it, using it for right now? And I've been using AI a ton for troubleshooting, especially troubleshooting stuff that was brand new that didn't have anything online that I couldn't search stack overflow or, you know, whatever it is, um, to, <clears throat> to get, uh, to get somebody else who had a problem. There were no issues on GitHub yet. Um, and, uh, uh, so there wasn't anything to search, but the funny thing is, is like when I use GPT or, or llama or whatever to, to do troubleshooting is that I can get it to read stuff. So, 
sure it can't like scour the internet and there's no like example, but I can feed it the whole docs. Like I can go like, I'm not going to have time to read docs for prim AI. That was one of the ones that I started. It was like one of the first ones that I did this with was an AI program to run models. Um, and, uh, and I couldn't get it. I, I kept running into an error on Linux. Um, and so I literally just went to the thing and I was just like, copy, I was just like copy paste entire pages of docs. And I was just like, and my prompt was like, I'm going to feed you documentation for this application because I'm trying to figure out how to install it. And I keep running into bugs. Um, I'm just going to feed you this. So just only respond with, yes, I received and, and don't do anything else. And I'm just going to keep pasting it and I'll let you know when I'm done. And so I would just like grab a whole page and paste it in. And it says, yes, yes, I have read this. Or copy, paste. Yes, I have read this. Like it would just like do this over and over again until I got to the end of it. And then I said, okay, here's what I'm doing. And I get my entire terminal output and I pasted that in there. And I said, this is what I'm trying to do. And this is the errors I'm getting. Can you tell me what's wrong and what I might do to do this? Three iterations. I had it running. Wow. Like three back and forth. And it was specifically because it read the docs. Like it was, it, the information was in the docs. I had no idea where. <laughs> Somewhere. Like, and I wouldn't have been able to do it myself, you know. Um, and uh, but uh, then one of the other revelations that I had uh, in that moment was, you know how like you, you do like a bunch of troubleshooting stuff, especially with AI. Like, I'm, like I said, I troubleshoot constantly. Um, and uh, you get this. Um, uh, in my, myself in particular is I'll, I'll figure out some sort of problem and I'll be like, okay, I, even footage, God, the amount of footage that I have on my computer for like tutorials that are never made is insane. <laughs> insane. I probably have 400 gigs worth of video footage. That's just like me doing stuff that I just never edited into a tutorial because I just didn't have the time. And, you know, I got yeah. back to the show. I was like, I'll do it next week. It, it wasn't high on my list. Um, and, uh, uh, so I was thinking, okay, well, now I figured out this thing with Prim. And again, there was no, nothing on the internet. Like, so inevitably, somebody else is going to have this problem. Somebody's going to try to run it on Linux, and they're not going to figure it out. I was like, I should make a tutorial of this at some point. And I was like, all right, I'll set it aside. And it was like 10 minutes later. And I was like, wait a second. My tutorial is my chat GPT chat window. Yeah. Like, I just gave it everything. And I went back to it and I just said, hey, can you, can you distill out everything that's important for anybody who has this problem and just take out the blocks of code, like the commands that are relevant, and then write a really succinct tutorial for like, like, like a six or seven step tutorial for fixing this if anybody has this problem? And I said, sure, here. And it was like, <laughs> and it was like a perfect tutorial of everything that we had just gone through and i was like i never like my the the having the problem is having the written solution now yeah simply going through the process it is now a pure just compute the answer with the llm to having a full tutorial for it written online probably 0.01% of the problems that people solve on the computer actually gets published online you know, like anytime that somebody actually publishes, this is how to fix this problem. You know, a thousand people fixed the problem and didn't publish it. And 10,000 people had the problem and gave up, you know, like it's just a tiny portion that makes it online. When the barrier 
to publishing is that small. Imagine how much more gets published. Like just a 10x, just a 10x makes the internet so much more valuable. On top of having the LLM to troubleshoot with, which you can now train on all the tutorials <laughs> that are getting published online, you know? It's this like, beautiful, virtuous cycle, honestly, yeah. and it only gets better. Like just, it's yeah. just more information. It keeps getting better. And like, even with, you know, just to take the, uh, the very, uh, you know, I don't know if you want to call it cookie cutter, but, but chat GPT, like that's the, that is the AI that most, most people are using to interact with this technology. Mm-hmm. Now that they've enabled the ability to create your own GPTs directly in the interface, like it's amazing. I've created like five of them so far where it's like, yeah. I want one specifically for researching and analyzing and troubleshooting uh, issues with two-way radios, part of my fiat mining work. Um, yeah. and, <laughs> and, and, and I did that. And with just written commands, no coding involved. And if I want to, I can attach documents to it and I can do all that in the chat GPT interface. And then I can publish that GPT and others can use it. And I think they're putting out a store fairly soon for this. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know how the monetization of that's going to work, but either way, it's extremely useful because now you've just lowered the barrier to entry again for people who, you know, are not proficient in coding, but also are not even uh, proficient in like, they're not even going to go to the GitHub and download, you know, uh, a code base for something and and run it locally on their machine. Like now you've given them a way to do this just right in that interface. It's existing. Like the barrier to entry to productive usage of this technology just keeps getting lower and lower and lower. And it's, again, you, you pointed this out well, you know, it's like, I think about all of the doom and gloom that I am also well aware of in this world. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hard to not be, you know, and like, it's easy for a little bit of cynicism or a touch of nihil, you know, just a dash of nihilism to set in there. But then I think of all the incredible, like this, again, these compounding effects that you talked about in this confluence, this beautiful coming together of all these different technologies. And we happen to be alive at this moment in space and time and here while all this is happening, like that's yeah. fucking exciting. And that gives me so much hope. And that's, it's a beautiful thing. And I think, you know, the future is what we make of it. And it has the potential to be very, very bright. And these tools, I think, give that bright future an increasing chance of happening the longer they go on without somehow being co-opted and centralized. And luckily, some of them can't be overly centralized. Like, you, you know, once you're running Keat locally, like, okay, what's somebody, are they going to come to your house and smash your computer and, you know, whatever, like it's yours now you're running it. Like you're good. You're running your own, you know, models, AI models, LLMs on your own machines. Like unless somebody comes mm-hmm. and confiscates all your shit, you know, which let's, let's never rule it out. Right. But yeah, yeah. these decentralizing forces that allow people to be able to have more autonomy, to move a little bit more in the right direction on the spectrum of sovereignty. That's a really hopeful thing. And I'm, I'm glad to be alive at this moment. Like it's an exciting fucking time, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. It's certainly better than like the fucking middle ages. Like, wow. We've got fucking, you know, something you said earlier, the, uh, you know, about like the, okay, you know, used to think like learn to code and now it's like, no, you don't need to necessarily learn to code. Like it's like, now it's going to be like, literally like learn to plumb, like learn to carpent, like learn to do something. It's coming back. It's coming blue collar again. It's coming back. (laughs) And like, and it should get more respect and more, uh, attention because like you think about it, the, the move away from it was artificial. Yeah, it was, it was, it It was was contrived because of the, it was the, it was the fiat offloading of our manufacturing base. It's purely because our paper outpriced our work. Yeah. Like that's the only reason that this happened. So it's going to come back, not because it ever wasn't, it simply wasn't valuable enough. Like there was never a time in which blue collar work was not the foundation of all of this. It was simply that the amount of theft of that made what the apparent wealth of society not in the blue collar space. Like it, it basically siphoned it off into the finance apparatus. Um, and then we offloaded everything that we could, all of our production and manufacturing externally into, you know, foreign entities or whatever, because we just exported our paper instead of products. And, but people are going to stop using the paper <laughs> and, and we're going to find out that if you don't make stuff, you don't have stuff. Uh, if you don't, if you don't clean the pipes, your shit comes right back up out of the toilet. Uh, and you know, that's, that's the era we are in. Um, we're just finding out that that was a big mistake. Um, so we're going to have to reverse 30 years on that front, but yeah, you know, blue collar was actually always the coolest. Uh, Amen. it's just, we, we got lied to about it. <laughs> yes. That's, that's, you know, guy, that's a, that's a beautiful note to end on. Learn, learn how to use your hands. How about we'll say that, learn, learn how to do it. It's great to do things digitally, virtually, but it is wonderful to be able to do some fucking actual useful shit with your hands. So you can hopefully solve a few yeah. problems yourself when you need to. And if all goes to shit and, you know, the internet turns off and they detonate EMPs over every, every country. Well, you know, then, then you really may need to, but let's hope it doesn't come to that. Cause we really got to be good hope. to have a hammer. <laughs> yeah. It'd be really good to have a hammer. Um, but, but guys, you know, man, thank you so much for this chat. I could, I could go on with you all dang night. Uh, but of course your time is scarce and I appreciate you sharing it. Uh, you know, Bitcoin podcasts are, are very abundant. Uh, but Bitcoin is scarce. So thank you for sharing your scarce time to talk about Bitcoin, Noster, AI, Keat, Hole Punch, using your hands on this fucking podcast. I appreciate it very much. I'll link all your oh, yeah, man. all your stuff in the show notes. Uh, for anybody who hasn't checked out, I know I think most people that'll listen will have heard of Bitcoin Audible if they're listening to this show. Uh, but maybe they haven't checked out AI Unchained yet. So I would highly recommend folks do that if they have any interest in this which I hope you do because you should at least find it somewhat interesting because it can really fucking help you. Uh, there are a lot of ways where it can help you. So study up a little bit and guys podcast is a great fucking way to do that. Yeah. My pitch, my pitch would be just listen to that one of the five ways that I think you should be using AI um, and start there because, because I think this is one of those things where, you know, when your friend first gets a smartphone and like five or six months, you realize uh, how productive and connected and everything that they are like, there won't be a, oh, I want to stay away from AI. I want to stay away from LLMs. 
that's not going to happen. This is this is going to be this is going to be an order of magnitude more important than the hardware shifts that we've seen over the last fifteen years, and I can vouch for that purely because of how much more productive and organized my stuff is. The 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 crazy thing of just having having one that can like just have a set naming convention, like and format for like files and how to archive stuff and like organize stuff on my computer that happens automatically. That like I just you know iterated ten times on basically an app that I run stuff through a micro app that will just set everything so that it's it's the same. Like I don't have to think about the way that I name stuff. I just I, I label it according to how I use it or, or what it is, and then it deals with it. I'm going to have one that will do like image vectors, and it's going to come up with file names itself. I'm I'm oh. getting close to all the pieces of it, um, but I'm going to have it so that it will literally organize my memes for me, so that when I download something, it's just like a a, a a name and like a bunch of random characters and shit. I can just drop it in this thing. It will pull out all the main elements and tags. It will create a file name. It will put it in the right place. And and I'll, I'll be able to organize it based on reaction or whatever. Like that I'm, would be I'm telling you, like these things are going to be massive. I'm going to, I'm going to figure out. Just I for screenshots. Because people memes, just like memes are like next level. And people get real serious about their meme cataloging. And that's what I, that's what I need to do. That's, that's the project that would be most fun and hilarious and i think i think a ton of people would love that video on youtube if i broke down how to make like the perfect the perfect ai based meme organizer for, for cataloging memes and shit i will use that <clears throat> yesterday like that it would genuinely be so fucking useful and just for fun like we all have so many fucking screenshots of so much random shit that you end up never going back to again oh, because I hate it. you know I hate it. It, it and it's just the worst and then it just clogs up your memory worth. yeah i have four computers worth like they're Probably just like some when i get to a point too. like it's so unorganized i i literally have these like like 2022 stacks or whatever that just like never got organized and so i just like drop that shit in some folder somewhere and i've got like this this cataloged history of unorganized just like like that room in your house is just full yep. of shit. Like, yep. oh God, oh God. So much of my computer is that. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to get it to go through all of those folders and organize all of that stuff and label it. When I, when I find the magic button, uh, I will, I will definitely share it out and you'll hear about it all over, all over AI Unchained. I'm stoked. Your, your pledge has been publicly recorded now. Uh, so we'll, we'll all be <laughs> looking forward to, to that. I, I am going to hold you to it. But man, this, this was a blast. Great picking your brain. Great hanging out here. Uh, and yeah, man, looking forward to, to, uh, to seeing you in the, uh, in the new year at some point. Once, uh, once things, uh, you know, once, I'll see you in Tennessee. Our, yeah. Our, well, that sounds I'll see nice. You in Tennessee. Yeah. I'm excited. That's, I'm I'm excited. We're going to Tennessee this year. And I know I'm too. I'm, I've I've nixed everything, all of my conferences and traveling until then. Uh, but then the having will be right around the corner, and I'll probably be like constantly traveling there for like a couple of months. That nice. will be really exciting. But I think I'm gonna have a lot of really cool things to share because I'm I'm trying to get a couple of big projects done. Uh, so we will talk. <laughs> I can't wait, man. It's always a pleasure, guy. Thank you so much, man. Oh yeah, man. You too. Take it easy, dude. And 
that's a wrap on this Bitcoin Talk episode of the Bitcoin Podcast. If you are a Bitcoin-only company interested in sponsoring another fucking Bitcoin podcast, head to bitcoinpodcast.net or hit me up on social media. On Noster, head to primal.net slash walker. And on Twitter, search for at Walker America or at Titcoin Podcast. You can also watch the video version of this show on X or on YouTube by going to youtube.com slash at Walker America or rumble by searching for at Walker America. Bitcoin is scarce. There will only ever be 21 million, but Bitcoin podcasts are abundant. So thank you for spending your scarce time to listen to another fucking Bitcoin podcast. Until next time, stay free.